All right, cool. So, Eric, welcome to the Nidus Anarchy series. Thanks for coming on. This is this is pretty awesome. I know we've chatted a bit in the past. Um, thanks for being one of the pioneers in our in our interview here uh, for the Nidus Anarchy series. Uh, I, this is really what I want to be doing. You know, it's like I I know I'm not the most entertaining person in the world, and I don't have all the answers by far. So I'm trying to reach out to experts in the field that have been doing this way longer than me and that know a lot more than me because that's how we all learn and grow. And I'm being completely selfish. I'm trying to interview the smartest people out there so that I can learn and grow <laughs> myself. So that's why I wanted to have awesome. you on board. So Eric Leach, thank you for thank you for coming on to the show. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Um, I, I'm going to dispute that you're not um, – you don't know it. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, you know, I think you should count yourself amongst the, uh, the industry Illuminati. I think uh, you've, you've definitely been there, done that, seen it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I love what you're doing. And, um, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really behind the idea of educating and sharing knowledge and doing that. It's what I try and do with my newsletter and things like that. Um, because I think, you know, we need, we need help. We need to get better at, you know, writing software and building identity infrastructures and, and creating yeah. what's actually helpful for our customers. Um, so I, and, I love what you're doing. Glad and to you've be been in that it. space particularly for a very long time with the creating of the identity very. management software. And, and I think it's great to see I, yeah. right now is I think we're finally on the precipice of when identity management software is finally how I think it should have been like 20 years ago. Like it's, it's fine. Everyone's kind of figured it out and it got into the enterprise to where it's manageable. It's, you know, it, there's individual pieces that we're, we're farming it out and making calls to external services. We don't have to house everything internally and centralize everything. So yeah. let's talk about your background, right? Cause I mean, it's, you've yeah. been with every major companies, I mean, Sun and Oracle and Strat, I mean, you've been up through the, through the ranks by far. So why don't you give me a rundown of yeah. kind of your background, your history and where you, where you've been. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I started as an accidental product manager, um, a long time ago. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, I worked for, some people will remember this from the uh, um, Notorious.com boom and bust, but I, I worked for a company called Critical Path. Critical Path had bought PureLogic and Isocore. Both of them had directories and meta directories. And uh, I started out as a product manager working on meta directory, hmm. which was kind of at the very beginning of the identity, you know, people recognizing the identity problem. Like, hey, we've got, you know, people in our workforce and we have to do something about this. So I had been playing around with a tool for another little startup and somebody heard about that. It was like, Hey, we hear, you know, LDAP. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, Congratulations. You're the product manager. I was like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> I had no idea. Um, but that kind of, you know, I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed the, the problem that we were trying to solve, which was helping, especially big enterprises to get a better handle on how they were managing their workforce and their users, yeah. partners, contractors, and all that stuff. <clears throat> and so that's where it started. And then it sort of evolved, you know, as, as the market evolved, as the industry evolved and people started, I remember when we first, so I moved to Sun after that, and we first started talking about single sign-on and and you would go in and talk to a customer. It was one of those like, you know, lighthouse moments. Um, 
and and that's an inside joke, which I'll <laughs> yeah. explain in a minute, right? But uh, it was one of those lighthouse moments where you would go in and you would talk to a customer and you would say, hey, how many times did you sign in today? And they would, I have no idea, like dozens, yeah. hundreds, like everything that I touch, I have to log into. And you would say to them, well, what if you could only log in once? And they were like, oh my God, can you really do that? Yeah, mostly, but yeah, okay. <laughs> and it was, it was like one of those, one of those moments that everybody talks about in, you know, building companies yeah. and building software. And this is pre-federation. Right? Like that wasn't even and a Pre-federation, yeah. Like we haven't even figured out that part yet. It was just like, hey, inside your company, I can help you sign into stuff. And it was, it was amazing to people that we could do that. And, and, and I think it also started the thing that you mentioned, which was how do we get identity to behave the way that we really wanted it to because we sort of developed this part of the identity infrastructure kind of on its own in isolation we said oh we have directories and we can put users in there and let's build this sso thing on top of the directories and integrity was obviously at the forefront of doing that um but we did a pretty good job of it at sun um as well and uh built open sso and so open sso became kind of that first open source enterprise product at a time when people weren't doing that right now yeah. everybody's like open source sure at the time yeah. people were like open source no yeah no way that's <laughs> a bad know? word they were like no <laughs> way yeah exactly and, and so while that was happening you know this sso thing is happening people start developing um on top of those directories like hey what if we could get people into hr and email and you know, the network and, you know, get them to log in from their workstations and do all that stuff. And that's sort of how provisioning and, you know, was born, not even governance yet. It hasn't, (laughs) that hasn't even happened yet, but just like, how do we move the identity stuff around? Um, And, and then, you know, regulation happens, uh, SOX, Sarbanes-Oxley happens and all of a sudden, Yeah, it was the big boom. And all of a sudden provisioning tools become like governance tools and like they're used by a completely different group of people inside the enterprise. And that was how it exploded, really. And so you have this like massive explosion of SSO on one side and this massive explosion on provisioning and governance on the other side. And they happened almost kind of independently, right? Yeah. Um, You know, my friend Topher Marie, who's the CTO of Strata, likes to say that, you know, identity systems weren't architected. Nobody architected them to be no. like this. this they, was, nobody this set out and said, this is the way it should, right? They accreted over time. And, and acquired. they, yeah, and acquired and like this stuff came in and now we pulled, oh, and now we have this new business unit and they've got to do something. And so they accreted over time. Nobody like deliberately started out to do this. And um, as a result, they suffer from what he calls the Anna Karenina problem, which is all un- identity systems are miserable in their own way. <laughs> oh, you've worked up- <laughs> okay. I don't want to name names right now, but <laughs> that was right. that was I, that's so perfect that I could have lived that. I could I would have tattooed that on my chest for about a good ten years. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and we've all seen that, right? If you've been playing in this space and helping people to like set this oh. up and build it, um, you know, it, it really is. It's like, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, get ready. <laughs> this is going to suck. Oh, no. <laughs> no, don't I got do a, that. I got the extra yeah. giant size of lube. We're, we're going to be good. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, this is not going to be what you think it's going to be. Um, 
And and so, you know, I, I moved to Oracle. We built very similar technologies. Eventually, so we swallowed. Did you Sun, move to Oracle when right? when Oracle acquired Sun, or was it in prior. that? Prior, okay. yeah, it was prior. Yeah, yeah. You saw it coming and, and just jumped over. <laughs> well, you know, it was pretty obvious that Sun was going to struggle significantly, yeah. um, and. And being in a software business in a hardware company is yeah. really hard. <laughs> yeah, and, especially when they're all about open source, everything. Yeah. I, what's interesting is the open source legacy of, of Sun and how so many things are still there yeah. out in the world because of Sun. Um, oh, yeah. Open SSO and OpenAM and ForgeRock and OpenDS being obvious examples yeah. of that. But Lots of other things, you know, the Java stack and Open Solaris and like all of these other things that. Well, that's how the internet started, right? Home, like yeah. back in like the late 90s, yeah. that was like, that was the mentality, especially like hackers back then. It was all about just creating and sharing and building and, and like, basically we yeah. want everyone to become smarter. We all want to build the best software possible. And the only way to do that is if we all share and communicate together. And then yeah. once everyone figured out, like, I mean, I think Larry Ellison was probably one of the first guys to be like, wait a minute. I'm going to make this myself and I'm going to make a bajillion dollars because I want to own an Island and yeah. he nailed it. And then everyone else was like, Holy shit, that's a crazy business model. Yeah. And then they just went forward. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, you, you, you look at kind of how that played out. Right. And it was the first of those, um, you know, Oracle's trying to buy Java. Right. Mm -hmm. And MySQL, right? Because those are the two biggest existential threats to their business yeah. model at the time. And in the process of doing that, they got all this overlapping technology, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, there was no way we were going to keep all of that stuff, right? I think Ping and Forge Rock are in the exact same position. Oh, we're right about now, to watch that right? all over again. <laughs> yeah, which, <laughs> um, which I wrote an article about that that got a lot of, you know, strong reaction um <laughs> i would say but you know I, I the reality was you know we're looking at these like 100 percent overlapping stacks right so do you know and, why oracle uh, went with oud over odse like what was the how that happened that was the one where it was actually both for a while for a yeah. significant yeah, ODSE time. stayed was, in for a while yeah. yeah it was it was the only real place where um both of the technologies lived on for a while. Um, yeah. Waveset, Lighthouse, so going back yeah. to my, you know, which Sun had acquired, um, yep. that was gone, right? And far yep. superior product, but gone, right? It I, just, that it, blew my mind. Like, I thought they were going to be, okay, yeah. we're going to keep, you know, Oracle Access Manager, but OIM, we're going to, you know, shovel that out and we're just going to bring Sun because, like, when I was at Microsoft working with Sam, Sam ran the Sun practice and I ran the Oracle practice. And we basically, I mean, it was all friendly, but like, we we're butting heads, like, we'd have to argue which one was better. It was so yeah. hard for me to make the point why Oracle was better all the time. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's, but they wound up, it, do you know why they sunset the Sun product? Like, what, what was the inside there? Yeah. So, so the thing that we were, challenged with as you know kind of the product teams inside of oracle as this was coming in we didn't ask for any of this right yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you know this wasn't like you know oh gee you know what i'd really like to do um <clears throat> we were like halfway or a little bit more of the way through building all of this middleware infrastructure mm -hmm. for fusion middleware and all the fusion apps yeah. stuff right and so it was okay start over with that 
right? Yeah. There's a train leaving the station, you know, months ahead of us, right? And start over with that and hope that we make the train or be the people that are like, we're going to stop the train entirely, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and nobody wanted to be that, right? And and we were, you know, the products that we were building, uh, you know, were, were decent. You know, they were good. They had, you know, strengths. They, you know, I, whether OAM was truly better than OpenSSO is, is kind of a, a, a debate. The architectures yeah. had kind of like settled into some patterns by that time. Federation yeah. had come in, obviously, and, you know, we had some some pretty good tools, right, to, to so make that work. Oracle scrapped, the, they kept OIM scrapped Sun. So for the ping Fordrock thing, do you think they're going to scrap one of the IDM tools? Or do you think they'll be like, Fordrock is for SIAM and maybe ping will be for workforce? Do you think they might go down that path? I'm, I mean, they could, right? Um, they could kind of try out and do the Okta Auth0 thing. Right. Because yeah. Octa Auth Zero had to do that. Right. Yeah. But I always think of it in terms of the customer. Right. The the customer picked Auth Zero over Octa, most likely. Right. Because yeah. it did the thing that they do they want to switch? No. Right. Yeah. The customer picked Fordrock probably over ping and you know some yeah. other things because it solved their problem. Do they want to switch? No. Right. Yeah. And um, so I Maybe they can try and keep both, but I mean, there's yeah. so much overlap between those two things oh, yeah. that it, it's really hard to imagine. You know, and it, it's again, right? They're sitting there, and I think Peter Barker is now taking over product for the whole thing. Um, and his job now is looking at this like one for one overlap on his stacks. What do I yeah. do? <laughs> well, and Salesforce is now like technically still under Tama Bravo. So they're not part of yeah. pain, but like that's got to be in his mind. Yeah. So so what do what do they do with that, right? And I, I don't I don't know that that that's super clear. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think based on my experience, you're going to have to disappoint some customers, right? Yeah. Um, you know, after the Sun and Oracle acquisition, uh, I've been racking my brain trying to remember the code name of this project, and I can't, but. Basically, we all got assigned like, you know, here's the top 100 customers globally. You yeah. have to go out as PMs. We all had to go out and take some number of those and sit down with them and say, the product that you bought, that you spent millions of dollars on licenses and, and more millions of dollars yeah. to implement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and that's really the scary part, right? Um, yeah. Seven to one spend has been kind of the standard the whole time, right? Services to, to license. And you had to tell them this thing is going away, right? And it was those big implementation dollars that they were going to have to respend. And yeah. nobody was and happy about that. Like nobody, a year plus right? in time, easily. Yeah. And 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 so, I mean, the systems integrators loved it, right? Because hey. it was like, hey, right? we're going to go back. <laughs> That's and, how and I made a living again. was that right, pain. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, so so I think... The thing that the people that are making the decisions about the acquisitions and the combinations of these things don't have insight into, clearly don't have insight into, is, yeah. is that impact, right? They, they don't understand the businesses well enough to say, you know, oh, if we combine these two companies, this is going to have this impact on these customers. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think they, they understand it at a like theoretical 
you know, yeah. philosophical, <laughs> metaphysical level. But having to talk to him face to face, I think, is a very right. But game. sitting in the room with the, you know, the man or the woman who's responsible for, like, okay, you want me to do what? Like, yeah. those are really different, very, very hard conversations. Yeah. Um, and and it was straining on everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, and and you don't you don't blame them for being angry, no. right? Like, I if would be you too, were sitting exactly. in their chair, you'd be pissed, right? And yeah. so. You're not going like you're being irrational. It's like, yeah, no, I'm ruining your day, and yeah. I get it, you know. Um, so, like you mentioned, the seven to one spend. So that was definitely yeah. like the case. It was just you'd be spending so much more time and money on implementation of these products because they're just such beasts, and they connected and they touched everything, and you had to interact with everything yeah. that was out there. Nowadays, though, yeah. do you still see it the same way? Because I, I don't think we're in the same. I don't think we're in that same type of market for today's software. Yeah. So, so things, um, well, so part of this comes back to the architecture, right? And I think what we're doing with the software is we're trying to model human behavior, which is yeah. super hard, right? yeah. the software, right? We're yeah. modeling human behavior with software. Yeah. It's all out of hard. the box. <laughs> yeah. And it's not all out of the box. It's, you have to heavily customize it because people behave unexpectedly, right? Yeah. Um, every customer I ever talked to told me, oh, what we're doing is totally unique. And and yeah. they were partly right and partly wrong. Right? It was like you're not that unique, but yeah, this one thing, this one tiny little thing that you're asking for is just you. It's just you guys, right? Um, but then I think you know, um, cloud changed a lot, right? Um, and so you got lots and lots of cloud services and SaaS coming in. And actually this was the time that I moved from Oracle to, to Salesforce, right? And, okay. and started seeing this from the, the SaaS side of things. Um, and you're right, it doesn't have that same like ratio dollar impact um, when you're using SAML or OAuth or OIDC to connect an identity provider to a SaaS yeah. app that supports that standards stuff. It's not a lot. Yeah, standard standards helped a lot with that. Um, but then when you got right, is you got all this on-prem stuff, and yeah. then all of this cloud stuff, and they were not they were not integrated. They're not connected. At best, you got some superficial federation between the mm -hmm. the, the two. Um, at best. And most people didn't even get that. And so what you have now is you have, you know, companies that are running probably at least four or five different IDPs, right? Yeah. On average, exactly. I would say. Um, and, and everybody, you know, and, and some companies, I won't name them, but I know there's a friend of mine who I became friends because we were helping them with their implementation and they, they sell, network hardware um and you know they bought everything and they implemented everything and you know so 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 i think what happened is you know people ended up with these like crazy divergent sets of things that they couldn't bring together they bought okta and they had microsoft and you know some people ended up playing not as many, but playing around with Google. Um, Google's identity infrastructure, or their, their identity providers are a mess. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's I, like, I don't know how they even released it that way, honestly. Like, I, I, if someone I even mean, asked me, it's yeah. like, oh, so what about Google? I'd be like, what about it? <laughs> what about it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, Amazon comes into play and they build identity very, very specifically for, uh, for the platform, 
right? Yeah. They don't build it as like, I'm going to run things on this platform. The identity was never for that. Um, Cognito kind of, but, uh, um, yeah. and there are we smart a- people working on Cognito now, but like, it's never been that thing. It's, right? very, it's a small piece. Like people are like, oh, look, we have Federation of Clouds. Like, it's a very tiny thing, heavily wedged into a specific use case. If you can fit that, yeah. cool. But most Great. most people can't <laughs> most people can't do that, right? And so so you got Microsoft, you've got you know Amazon, you've got Google, you've got Okta, you've got Ping, you've got you know Savient or SailPoint, you've got yeah. you know next thing you, you know it's like it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And I think that's why we're seeing the identity security market come about the way that it has. Um, where people are now looking at the identity infrastructure as these points of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not wrong, right? I, I think when you have that oh, many I things. Think they manage, absolutely but... are. You have one place with all the passwords for everyone stored. That's that's a risk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I think the, the reality that, that people don't re- realize um, too much, especially about like Okta, for example, like, you know, for the longest time, like, almost 90% of their integrations were based on scraping login pages and form stuffing. Right. I mean, that was how they built that business. Right. And, you know, I've I've had Octa people get really mad at me when I say that, but it's true. Right. I think I've had every vendor get upset. (laughs) It's like, I always side on the customer. Um, It's like, what's best for them. I'm going to tell them the truth and the vendor may not be the happiest, but Hey, that's just the way it is. And so there, there was a period of time where these new, identity cloud services are really just big password vaults right um and 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 that in that is scary right um and uh, you know hackers figured that out and they've been going after them you know tooth and nail ever since right (laughs) successfully um tooth and nail ever since so um you know so i think we got this like you know, bifurcation and and that proliferated identity services. And now people are starting to look at, okay, we need to do better at monitoring and managing and being able to identify what's going on in our cloud infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And kind of the centerpiece of that is identity. And so that's where you get all these like new market categories. And I think it's way too finely segmented. Um, I, I don't, really think long-term there's a huge difference between, you know, a cloud identity and entitlements management and, you know, ITDR and, you know, well, identity threat my, detection and response, right? It's like, <laughs> I'm dealing, I deal with this all the time right now is everyone's like, oh, so do you know Cyan? It's like, do I know customer? Yes. Well, it's different than workforce. Yes. It's like, oh, yeah. the use cases are and how you set it up it is, but it's this, it's the same software. It's the same it's the same ideology yeah. under the hood. So like, like I think what it is, like we were saying, everyone's kind of branching out is everyone wants to be the big dog in this new field. So like, oh, well, we're the, we are the best for a SAS risk identity-based compliance software suite. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Okay. What does that mean, right? Like how did, like with, with dozens and dozens of vendors spread across, you know, more than a dozen market categories now, like how would any customer make sense of this? Should I buy Orca or should I buy this little like independent, you know, specialty, you know, CIEM vendor, right. Or ITDR vendor. Like, and, and, 
how would a customer know? How would a customer figure that out, right? And so one area I, I think that, that's the big issue right now with the market. So one area is orchestration. I think that's an actual new segment uh, that actually does garner it being its own segment in the identity space. Um, you're obviously very familiar with the orchestration. So what's your definition yeah. of identity orchestration? So I think, you know, orchestration is important because you need to find a way to get all of the identity systems to actually be aware of one another. <laughs> so that is not always the case. Like I said, you know, when I called it superficial federation, it's like, oh, I know yeah. I have this thing on the other side, right? Um, but even with SAML, you know, you would pass an assertion to, you know, an SP and what it did with that, you had no idea, right? Yeah. Um, and when it would send you some authentication, it could say, yeah, I authenticated him. I did a good job of it. And you're like, just had to trust that, right? But you don't actually know what's on the other side. And so I think what orchestration is, is useful for is um, being able to see across identity providers what's actually there. Now, I think, uh, you know, when you look at the... And, you know, the identity, you know, the entitlements management tools that are out there now and the ITDR tools that are out there now, what they're doing is introspecting into the identity systems to see, like, what have you actually configured here? Right. Mm -hmm. What is actually set up? What do the policies look like? How do they work? What are they protecting? And um, and I think that's really important because here's uh, maybe this is not a dirty secret, but I'll call it that. <laughs> is the people that are running the apps have no idea how the identity systems work no. at all. But they they just know that they need to integrate, they, yeah. right? And, but, and so that in and of itself, not a big deal, right? But the identity teams also have no idea how the apps work and how they're right. consuming their identity, right? And so there, there's no place where those things, you know, do a good job of overlapping. So nobody knows what's going on. Right. Yeah. And so I think we're, and if you do that across five or six or seven different things, like you got a real problem, right? You, you, yeah. you do not have the kind of visibility that you need. And if you don't have visibility, you can't protect it. And so I think orchestration and I, you know, these threat detection and response tools and, and, and that kind of stuff do a much better job of giving people visibility into what their identity infrastructure is actually doing. And I, I think that's going to be critical to people having a, a you know, getting to an, a coherent architecture as, as they go forward. Because I think it, I think it can get better, right? I, I think the infrastructure can improve, and I think so people know how to do it now. You're a co-founder of Strata, right? So how did that start? How did what was the whole aha moment of hey, you know what? Let's do this. Like, how did that kind of happen? Yeah, I, you know, I think when when we set out to do that, um, the the idea was, look, everybody's going to be multi-cloud. <clears throat> and, you know, we were inside Oracle and, you know, Larry Ellison had been saying cloud's not a thing for, I don't know, five <laughs> or 10 years, right? Um, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, shit, it's a thing. <laughs> you know, I better do something about this. Um, and... You know, he believed that it was Oracle for Oracle. Like, he, he's like, we're going to just rule this. Nobody, you know, Microsoft will go away. You know, Amazon, will, everybody will just use Oracle because they use our database. So therefore, they'll use our cloud. Uh, yeah. It's a silly thesis, right? It's like, 
you know, um, and, and so I think the reality of multi-cloud and the reality of multi-cloud identity, like each of those platforms having its own identity infrastructure, and then all of the other independent identity infrastructure that was out there was like, oh, there's a real problem here, right? There's some, there's an issue with making all of these things work together coherently. And so I think, you know, that was kind of the underlying thesis for it is, you know, how do we as an industry help customers get better at managing this stuff and give them visibility to things and help them understand what they're running, right? Um, I don't, you might have this experience, but when you go and talk to somebody and say, well, how many apps do you have connected to this? Thing? They oh go, God. you know, a hundred, right? Yeah. And then you go and you like actually do the analysis. Like you, you have more than a thousand apps. And yeah. they're like, really? It's <laughs> <laughs> been in here like, for eight yes. years. Yeah, you've just been yeah. constantly throwing um, apps at it. Yeah, do you have any idea how many people are accessing that app, yeah. right? Um, and now SiteMinder's and, and gone, so this, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, now what are you going to do, right? And and um, and then I think people started thinking about zero trust, right? And like, how do they how do they do a zero trust architecture? And you can't do it without good identity infrastructure. Like, you just can't. Um, if you don't know who's logging into stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're trying to do, and I, you, you can't trust, you can't verify, you you can't identify, you can't remediate, you can't do any of that stuff. Um, so you can't do zero trust. Uh, real zero trust. I mean, like the architectural pattern, not the buzzword, but, you know, treating everything as if it's happening on a public network. Um, Inside your enterprise, you can't do that because you have no idea who's accessing what and when and how they're using it and, you know, whether it's legitimate or not. And so um, I think that's where the real challenge for, for these customers come in now is is trying to figure that out as they're trying to make their enterprise architectures more resilient against threats um, so one of the which, big things as that... an industry as an industry we're failing at that right oh yeah, like, yeah well absolutely yeah, it's getting worse right and <laughs> the security and, problem and this is kind of like worse. so in the identity space all, like we were saying before all the identities are centralized stored they're stored in a central repo of some kind a central identity management software yeah. that's kind of the the brain and you know it's it's yeah. the hub to all the spokes to everything else that goes out there and <clears throat> yeah. there's have you ever have you ever played around with zero knowledge proofs uh with regards to for like authentication at all because I'm a big proponent of decentralized identity, right? Like I think this is, we're going to be moving towards self-sovereign. It remediates so much risk. Implementation time drastically goes down. People are a lot happier that way in the long run. But what I'm wondering is if we can integrate more zero knowledge proof type of infrastructure into the identity space. So we're not actually sharing PII. We're not sharing any type of infrastructure, you know, or any type of, of anything that could lead an attacker to be able to get, garner more information about whatever the victim is or, or you know, their attack victim they're trying to go for. Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? Because it, it, it as a technology, it represents a good solution, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't think that technology is what gets in the way. I, I think most enterprises look at security as a risk management thing. They don't actually care about the security part. They just want to know about the risk, right? Liability. Um, yeah. I had, yeah, and and it, so exactly right. So the liability thing. Who's going to assume the liability for that? When there's a breach, 
And, you know, you're going back to your cyber insurance provider who's trying to jack your premiums by, you know, a thousand percent or whatever it is um, because you got breached. Who's taking the liability for that? And you say, well, you know, I had this identity infrastructure like, OK, <laughs> you know, today, you know, who would take the liability for it. But um, you don't know who would take the liability for it in, in that case. And so I, I think until that gets worked out. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be hard for people to assume the risk of it. Um, yeah. even if there were architectural benefits to doing it. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that about the risk because I'm seeing a lot in clients now where they're moving to the cloud, right? They're going, you know what, we're going to use, yeah. um, drug cloud or we're going to use ping, ping one or whatever. And it's like, yeah. okay, cool. Well, how are you maintaining a backup of that data locally? You know, like if they disappear tomorrow, how are you ensuring you have everything? And they're like, oh, we're not. Like, why would you not do that? And like, oh, well, because yeah. they said they'll always be up and that's their problem. I'm like, but it's your business. <laughs> what are you doing? Right. And they don't yeah. care. They're like, no, the, that's their problem because if something happens, it's <clears throat> their fault, their responsibility. We're in the clear. It's like you are from a liability risk perspective, which is obviously their number one goal. But. Yeah. What about your reputation as a business? Like right now, look at this whole MGM thing that went down, right? I mean, they got slaughtered and it had nothing to do with them. It was a third party outsourced um, customer service company that did the wrong thing. Okta's name yeah. is smeared everywhere. They had nothing to do with it either. But now it's MGM's brand. Well, well <laughs> I don't want to say maybe not nothing to do with it, but... Um, but MGM's brand is now severely tarnished with regards to what people are going to think when they go to book a place in Vegas or play the slots. People don't know what happened. They're like, I don't know. Is there is my money going to get stolen if I play MGM slot machines? You know, they just don't know what's happening. Yeah. But yeah. because they're like, oh, yeah. well, we outsourced it. So it's not our fault. So we didn't. It's like, oh, man, I don't know if that's the right choice. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think these are the natural consequences of the cloud shared responsibility model. Right. And it's yeah. like okay, well, I'm going to take on some risk for this and you're going to take on, we're going to agree to share some certain amount of risk and the cloud vendors will write down what their boundary of the shared model is, right? And, and so then that's something that, you know, an enterprise risk and compliance management team can look at and go, okay, mm -hmm. I understand this. And I can, if I'm regulated, I can go back to my auditors and say, I understand the risk. I'm not solving it, but I understand it, right? Um, because those are, those are two different and distinct things. Um, you know, I think, and, and I hate to dig on vendors, right? But, I, <laughs> but I'm, I, going to. I'm actually in this case, <laughs> but I'm going to, right? Um, in, in this case, um, you know, Octa splashed all over, right? As like, yeah. well, they put these agents and they're syncing and the passwords are going in the clear and we got them and like, ha ha ha, right? They're, you know, yeah. like fully, you know, uh, they're fully, you know, blasting them on social media and whatnot. But it's actually not an Octa problem. It's a Microsoft problem, right? It's yeah. like, you know, Active Directory is, and and I speak way back 20 years, you know, more to competing against Active Directory and going out and telling people like, don't do this. This is really bad. And they were like, whatever. Like, yeah. it's Microsoft. I'm not going to lose my job for betting on Microsoft. Yep. Well, here we are 25 years later, and people are losing their jobs because they bet on Microsoft to do things. And Microsoft didn't do a good job of building yeah. security into I mean, their software. I mean, you know, I mean, how much enterprise right? out there does SSL termination 
And they're like, well, once you're inside, it's fine. So it's okay to have everything clear text. You're like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm actually working with a company right now that's that's thinking about how do you do that? Because I think there's multiple layers of this problem, right? And so the TLS doesn't have a control plane right now. Right. And so it's just like you set it up and it works. Right. And it's like, no, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and so this company did a scan of, of the Fortune 500 and, you know, there's millions of endpoints out there on the most protected domains in the world that are still serving SSL, you know, TLS one and one one. Yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> and Chrome doesn't even support it anymore. Like, <laughs> right. It's like, what are you doing? Right. And and then you that's on the north, south, external, right? You go inside the enterprise and you, oh. it's like it's not even that it, it's it's bad if it's there, but most likely it's not even there. It's, yeah, right? it's not People it's non-existent. not existent. Yeah. yeah. Like no, but I mean, it's on the same, there's not, it's all behind yeah. the firewall. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, because no one gets past that firewall ever. <laughs> no one ever gets past the firewall. How could that possibly happen? Um, yeah. Stolen credentials, right? And and we all know that that's that that's the big risk here, right? Is yeah. is stolen credentials? And so link, I think, always. yeah, it's always people that are the weakest link. They get fished. They provide their credentials when they shouldn't, and it's bad, right? The yeah. the things that ensue are really bad. Um, so I think better credentialing, um, you know, and, and passwordless, I think is going to help a little bit, not a lot. <laughs> so, you know, this, those things are going to become vulnerable, just like everything else. Right. So, so with these, um, these risks and everything that we're hearing that's happening now, like how, where do you see the identity management platform as a whole? Like I, the provisioning, governance, access, federation, orchestration, all the pieces. Yeah. Where do you think we're going to be three, five years from now? How do you think this is going to morph <clears throat> in the in the next kind of half decade? Yeah, I think you, you're already seeing it happen a little bit, right? Where 10, 15 years ago, the only people that ran risk-based identity platforms were retail banks, right? They were the only ones. They, they you know, wanted to know how many times a user had authenticated to their system. Right? Yeah. <laughs> in a period of time they yeah. wanted to know things like impossible velocity they wanted to understand um, how to do continuous authentication and you know more context and contextual authorization and things like that um, that that those things are going mainstream right every enterprise is thinking about okay wow i really need to do this authentication can't be a one and done event yeah. right um, i need to know where the person is logging in from, who they are, do they have the right device? Are they coming from an IP? You know, have they logged in? You know, we used to do scans for these banks and like they would have an ID that log in 50,000 times a month. And like, is that yeah. good? Like, probably not, right? <laughs> um, and every enterprise needs to know this stuff now to be better yeah. at what they're doing. So I think you see that and you see the way that, um, you know, sort of, the thinking about the way to evolve security architectures as a whole um, is is really important. And I think what's good about the identity security space and where it's evolving is it's looking across all the layers of the infrastructure now in a way that it didn't before. It was very app centric in the past, right? like maybe app and data store centric, but now there's infrastructure, there's the network, there's the apps, there's the data layer, there's, you know, the code and, you know, you know, uh, 
code as infrastructure and you know how all of this stuff is is getting built and rolled out and deployed and i what i see happening with the identity security space is starting to look more coherently across all of those layers because there's security infrastructure everywhere there right and yeah. so you want to be you know plugged into you know the data that's coming out of the network and the data that's coming out of the you know the code scanning as people are checking stuff into repos like you, you need to know all of this stuff it all kind of needs to go together and so i think the identity security looking across all these layers helps a lot because it forms a more complete context um, as you're doing stuff at the user layer that you know people don't have today um, yeah. and so it, you know i think in the next three to five years uh people will get really good <clears throat> at at doing that, at getting better visibility across all the layers of the infrastructure that they have. And with all that data coming in, you know, just in time, we have all of these really great AI models, right? Yep. Um, and you can start doing something like reasonable with the, with the data, right? And understanding what, what's actually happening across all these layers and identifying patterns and seeing things um, and being able to react to them in real time. Um, I think that's where vendors need to improve. A lot of it is like, hey, I scanned your configuration and I can see when people are making changes to your configuration. Great. Yeah. Um, can you fix, can you stop things from happening in real time? And I, I think the vendors that, and like provisioning, right? Like provisioning vendors should have been real time this whole time, right? Yeah. Authorization and SSO and provisioning should have been like combined, yes. right? Because I don't want to just provision you for something I want to know, have you ever used it? When was the last time you used it? Yeah. How many and times are you asking for new permissions? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so that stuff, I think, ends up really improving how people deploy this stuff and, you know, maybe move away from that Anna Corinna in a problem <laughs> a little bit. You can get a more coherent, you know, architected solution that, that doesn't make you miserable. So you touched on continuous auth. I think that's, uh, I know it's like a buzzword that's trying to be developed right now, I guess. So I guess it's kind of a two-part yeah. question. One, do you know anyone doing continuous auth right now in a beneficial way where it's literally like where it works in the way that we're kind of imagining? And then two, how do you envision continuous working in the in an ideal standpoint where it doesn't just piss off the end user that they're constantly being prompted somehow? Yeah. Uh the answer to the first part is no, not really outside of like uh inside of platforms right yep. um you know we definitely played around with that at salesforce and trying to be better at you know sort of as people are coming and asking for this data how do we make sure that you know we can authenticate that request you know yep. as it's happening right um and you know, it started very simple with authentication levels and then being able to interpret, you know, what level you have and what you're trying to do. And it sort of morphed into the authorization piece a little bit. Um, anybody general purpose doing it? Well, I don't think so yeah. because it's really hard, right? Yeah. It's really, right. really hard. Because it's like, you don't do. want to prompt everyone every five seconds. And then you got the people who are like, oh, we're just going to have a camera looking at them all the time. It's like, well, that's some big brother shit. <clears throat> oh, and then actually, yeah, we're gonna have it here. <laughs> These guys, I don't know if you see this, they're at Identiverse, the token ring guys. So they yeah, made a yeah. ring that has a biometric on it. So you're supposed to wear this. So once you wear it, yeah. now I know. So it's like, okay, 
I feel that's a little encroaching. <laughs> it's like I don't ah. want to have to wear this thing all the time. So I think I think continuous auth will really take off when someone figures out contextual based continuous auth. And I think AI is really right. going to be that that helps that out. Like once this person logs in, are they typing the way they always type? Is the browser the same way? Is it over the same connectivity? Like is you know all those tiny yeah. little pieces. And if AI can build those successful models, it can determine you know those fluctuations and then say oh hey what this is a variance of whatever this should be looked at or maybe we now we prompt them or we refresh their token early or something along those lines yeah or or even being able to anticipate is this something that this yeah. user should or can or would normally do so that you don't have to reprompt them right yeah. and I, I think you know, when you look at the, you know, people getting hammered on, you know, push notification attacks and things oh. like that, right? Yeah. Where eventually people will start recognizing like continual prompts as an attack, right? Yeah. They'll be like, oh, this is bad, right? I'm going to ignore this. I'm going to shut off my phone, whatever it is, right? Um, didn't take long for them to figure out how to, <laughs> how, to, how to make that a more vulnerable thing, right? Like there was a time when we were like, push notifications, like a true second channel, yay. Yeah. And then now it's well, like, oh my God, right? We just had an issue yesterday internally. So one of our employees got a text from our CEO saying, hey, I need your help real quick. Can you go buy, uh, I need you to buy a gift card for me and shoot it over whatever. And it's like, and he, so he immediately yeah. called me. He was like, hey, why have you seen this? Like, is this legit? Because I couldn't reach him. Yeah. I was like, that is absolutely not legit. <laughs> like, absolutely like he, not like, legit. No one's yeah. going to text you saying to buy gift cards for you on their behalf. But like, they're obviously scouring yeah. LinkedIn, finding the CEO, finding employees, and just shooting out these text messages <clears throat> and emails to yeah. everyone blindly. And yeah. um, I, th yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting because it it's really comes back to, I'm thinking PGP days with the email. Like, how do you know who sent you that email actually was them? So we have right. you know the public-private key. I'm wondering if, we, yeah. if there's going to be a need for just from that type of a level of verification from the text message to prevent phishing and laws along those lines for OTP codes. Like, is it the right one? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I think SMS as a channel for delivering anything is terrible. Yeah. Right? Like don't do anything <laughs> over SMS. Right. Like, what do you, what's um, the best, what do you think is the best method? So if I want to MFA someone in, what's, what do you think is the best way? Here's my, uh, let's see, I've got my, so this is good and bad, right? So I've got this one, and I've got <laughs> this one, and I'm trying to find one, you know, yeah, here's, you know, and I've got this oh, yeah. one, and, you know, it's like, so, you know, I think the physical tokens are, yeah. you know, probably the thing that's going to be, you know, the most ironclad for now. Okay. Um, that's a pain in the butt, right? And they yeah. are expensive and it's hard to get to people. But at some point, <laughs> we have to say, you know, uh, if we're going to invest $55 billion in the security market over four years, and during that yeah. same period, the cost of breach is going to go up 30%, we have to do something different, right? Yeah. Um, and after a while, it's like, well, you know how to use your phone, right? Like yep. using a token with, you know, that or, you know, plugging something into a USB-C, right? It's like, well, yeah. okay, this is the, this is the price of, of, of doing this stuff securely. Um, at some point we just have to get, get there, right? This is costing us too much, right? To, have you to ever played do... with Web3 wallets in the sense that yeah. um, you can use them for authentication, but from the level of it's yeah. software token or it could be hardware token and kind of like lets you yeah. determine the level of security you want. Yeah, and I, I think 
sharing like so then sharing that responsibility between the identity provider doing Mm -hmm. that who's performing the authentication and you as the user saying this is the level that that i want to do um or this is the level of assurance that i want to assert about myself i i I think that has to be that has to be a part of this but that's really hard for non-technical users i always like try and you know imagine like what would i tell my mom yeah i I'm the same thing i momify everything like if my mom can't understand and it's like it, no nope, mom doesn't can't do it it doesn't cut the yeah. mustard it doesn't work yeah that's not gonna work so yep. you know and i so i think we have that conundrum where we have a significant population of non-technical people being asked to use highly technical things yeah. and that's tough right you're asking them to do things that um are really hard for them to figure out and um, the harder it is for them to figure it out, the worse <laughs> the risk yeah. gets because they find ways around it or, yep. you know, whatnot. So, so obviously yeah, the, I, the corporations feedback on this, oh, well, we do training. We have these, what these, these classes where they go online and they watch this video and they answer the 10 questions. Obviously they know how not to be fished. They know how to handle secure documents now, right? <laughs> If if we were sufficiently training people to not be fished, then people would stop fishing. <laughs> it's obviously yeah. a profitable enterprise still at this yeah. point. So people keep getting fished. Um, you know, and they're they're not even that good. You know, like oh, if if you if you know how game. to look for and recognize yeah. that stuff, they're not even that good. So it is like it reminds me of the what was it, the bank of quarters and Saturday Night Live. Oh, we'll make it up on volume. You know, we make change. Well, how are you going to make money? We'll make it up on volume. I think that's that's the way that the fishing industry yeah. works, right? Absolutely. Just, uh, you don't have to get a you know a million. You just need to get a yeah. hundred, right? I was. We got an email <laughs> again sent to us. You know, throughout the, throughout our company of saying, hey, you know, we we've got into your computer. We have all of the porn you've been watching, and we got all this stuff on you, and we're going to release yeah. it all if you don't send us five hundred dollars this Bitcoin address. And it's like, okay, delete. But I was curious. So I took the address, went online, because that's all public, right? That dude made over five yeah. grand at that point in time when I looked of people actually paying him the the ransom. Yeah. And it's just like, that's what it is. It's like, And that's yeah. just that one address. How many addresses <laughs> was he using and rotating? Like, it's just sending out millions yeah. of emails blindly, and they're making yeah. bank off of this. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody's email is compromised. There isn't a single yeah. email out yeah. there that's not compromised. Email's never secure. <laughs> like, that's what's interesting. We really don't have a really good secure communication platform, I don't feel. Like, that rivals yeah. how email works, necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've been involved in any of the credit agency or the credit reporting agency breaches, uh, which I have, um, they like to send you, a, we found your email on the dark web. I'm like, yeah, because yeah. of you. And yeah, exactly. Duh, right? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, Thanks for the heads up. Right. Um, well, that's where I yeah. think decentralized so, identity will help is the fact that like those breaches where like someone gets in and they, oh, we've stolen 6 million usernames, <laughs> passwords, emails, and their SSNs. Like, and now we're going to dump it on the dark web for sale. All that goes away. Now it's individual attacks. So they can attack one person at a time versus millions at a time. I think millions to me, that's time, a huge, yeah. huge thing that we really need to start <laughs> moving towards because it's just getting worse and worse because we're getting, I mean, I'm just going to, this is the, the right thing to say, but we're getting dumber people in charge of these systems that just don't care 
or they don't understand what's actually happening anymore because they're not as technical because we've made it, the software has become so, it's not easy, but it's not like what it was before. It was so massively complicated. Only like the super smart people could figure it out. Now you can have dum-dums that are in charge of it and they have the keys and those dum-dums are getting their, themselves jacked and those keys then were, you know, compromised. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even say they're dumber, right? I think it's just become so incredibly complex that I, I think even smart people have a hard time figuring it out sometimes, right? But definitely the people that aren't as smart are like really going to struggle with it. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, uh, I, I spent a lot of time in my consulting business telling people to build less software. <laughs> <laughs> like build less. You don't need that. Don't do that. Like don't, don't build that until you know that this other thing actually works, you know? So um because, you know, there's a lot of really bad software out there. And when you have bad software and you try and put fit it into an architecture, it, it, it makes things more complicated really quick. So that's kind of similar to something. I was I coined this term recently just out of, I was talking with someone calling it security bloat, where they kept piling on all these security, security mechanisms because they really wanted to ensure that there was no risk and every vulnerability they found. So they had to make sure this software did this and this one did that. And eventually it was so massively complicated that the lag was just insane. Like it was your six second login times. And, you know, there's just too many checks and balances in place. Too many false positives were kicking up all the time. And it just made it impossible to do day-to-day -day activity. So that's what I was like, you guys got security below. You have way too much stuff in place. You need to trim down and kind of refine and be more efficient across this as well. Are you seeing something yeah. like that happening now? Because before, no one gave a shit about security. And now I feel it's like we've kind of pendled too far where everyone's <laughs> panicking and going too far sometimes. Yeah, imagine how many dashboards an average InfoSec team is looking at every day, right? Yeah. And trying to like parse out signal from that. Like, how the hell would you even know? Yeah. <laughs> really, yeah. really tough. So, yeah, I I, I think I think people are... Um, I think they're struggling with that and they'll continue to struggle with that. And, and that's why I like to see, you know, kind of what we were talking about before with, you know, these things that are starting to span these layers and collect and aggregate that data and present it in a kind of a more coherent way. That's going to help these infosec teams and these CISOs that are looking at this information to be able to take action on it. Right. And, and to get it closer to real time and to get the lags, you know, taken out of it. And, um, you know, as vendors commit to that stuff, I, I think it'll get better for those those CISO teams, but, you know, and the InfoSec teams, but, you know, every vendor is like, hey, I've got AI ML models that are going to show you stuff in a dashboard. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. oh my God. <laughs> so with your new venture, What Why Consulting, are you kind of tackling those types of problems? What are you doing now? What's what's the new sexy stuff that you're working on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My So, so my thing is really about helping people to, build better products. And to do that, I think, you know, you need a coherent vision, you need a strategy, you need a roadmap that supports that. Um, and then you need the team that can execute that. And I think that's, so, so I think as I think about helping companies, it's starting there. And then it's also, you know, once you start building out the team, you realize that a product team or a product management function is great, but what you need is a product organization. You need people that are involved across the value life cycle of the product. And that's not people that were traditionally in product development, engineering, product management. They're in customer success. They're in pre-sales engineering. They're doing implementations. 
Um, they're spread across an organization. Um, and, and so I'm trying to help people think about how they build that product organization so that more people are involved earlier in it, right? Imagine how many times you would have loved to know what was getting built before it got delivered to you. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. So if so, so for companies, let's yeah. say that are startups where they don't have a whole dev team and they don't have, they can't really have that much overhead. What would you say would be like kind of like the top three things they should focus on in building their software to, to for the enterprise market? I think number one thing is know why you're doing it, right? And to be able to you internalize and understand how it's going to change the life of your customer, right? Um, saying I'm going to build a dashboard is a how, right? It's like how yeah. I'm going to present you the data. It doesn't say how I'm going to change the life of that infosec person that needs to look at that data. And so I think that's the number one thing. The number two thing is don't build as much. Everything is so complicated and we use so little of the software that's actually out there. And so I, I, I think that's a big part of it as well. And then I think the third thing is, is being you know very good at watching and analyzing usage and having good metrics and understanding how people are using your software so you know how to improve it so that it's doing a better job as you've deployed it out for users. Because uh, I think a lot of that was missing for a long time. No, that makes sense. All right, cool. So first one, know the why. Second one is do what you're trying to accomplish. Don't go, don't stray out and do try to solve the whole world. And then yep. third one is really, you know, just focus on the metrics coming back from your clients and refine it to get that deliverable product. You know what, Adam? I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think that's spot on. I'm just going to use that clip forever for everything that I Dude, use now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely do. Cool, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate you All coming right. on. This has been awesome. Um, is there anything you want to like shout out or is there anything you want to like tell anybody before we take off? No, I just thank you for having me. I think, you know, this kind of collaboration and discussion is going to be really beneficial for people. And, you know, thanks for doing what you're doing. Awesome, man. Who do you think I should talk to next? <laughs> That's um, put you on the spot. So you know what? Uh so uh Simon Moffat at the Cyber Hut. Reach okay. out to Simon. I will reach I out think to he him. might be interesting. Yeah. Or Ian Glazier is another one. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Anytime, man. Have a good one.